You are listening to Circle of Hope's Sunday Meeting Podcast. This talk was given at 2309 North Broad Street. For more information, check out circleofhope.net or join us in person on Sunday evenings at 5 and 7 p.m. I have a hard time watching summer movies in the winter. Like, I don't mean like summer blockbuster movies. I mean uh, movies where the setting is summer. You with me, you following me? They're set in the, in, in the summertime and the characters are doing like summery things. You know, swimming or eating outside or wearing tank tops, drinking cold beverages. I have a hard time because in the winter it's hard for me to imagine there ever being a time where it's warm enough to do anything like that, right? In the middle of January, when I'm cold and bundled up, wearing wool socks. I can't imagine why, how anyone would ever swim or drink something cold. Is that normal? <laughs> you can relate to this? Or no, you, you, still, you still remember two months ago when it was hot. You're like, oh yeah, it was hot, I could swim. Mm-hmm. All right, I'm just checking because I'm not sure how normal that experience is, but that's how I feel about it. And it's, it's palpable, I can't imagine it. I think that there's like a, I might have a developmental problem there, but <laughs> but I don't know. It's hard for me to imagine something new or different when I'm in an environment that's so unique to that. I think that's the that's the place I want to go. We've been talking. I keep finding. Uh, do we have the? Do you, ha- do you have the talk? I think it's labeled August 26, 2019 for some reason. Sorry. I'm already in 19. I'm just off my game tonight. There you go. I keep finding pictures of Brueggemann. There's another one. This is Walter (laughs) Brueggemann with his hands on his head. (laughs) I wonder what he's saying in that moment. It's probably something smart. And he wrote this book with the tree on it called The Prophetic Imagination. And it tells us of a similar conundrum. In our time and place, it's kind of like we live in winter and we're imagining summer. It's hard to imagine a different world because the weather in this one is so bad. It might even be like that in your life. It's hard to imagine a different life when the weather in yours is so difficult. Brueggemann says that God gave Moses, Moses is one of the main characters in the Old Testament, a vision for community that was unique to the world Moses was living in. That it contrasted with kind of the world of ancient Egypt, imperial Egypt, if you will, Pharaoh's Egypt. And it wasn't long before Israel's kings fell into the trappings of the world and erased that vision in favor of one that kind of mimicked the nations around them. To extend our analogy, God showed Moses how to make it like summer in the winter, but then Israel's kings kind of just kept acting wintry. That makes sense? You're tracking with this? It might break down at some point. It's hard to imagine another world when the language we use and the way we know things can be limited by the environment that we live in. We need a new way to say things, a new way to know things, a new way to see things. Right, the f- the the 
even the way we understand our world might need to be changed by God. And it might feel very uh, foreign to us, very different. Brueggemann says that the prophet, and he's talking about prophets in this book, the prophet's role is to point out and grieve the evil in the world. They feel what God feels, and they're not numb to the pain around them. They don't get numb. They keep feeling the pain. It's easy to get numb, isn't it? Right? Like there was another shooting today. Did you guys track, th track this one? Ten people got killed in, during a Madden 19 tournament. Right? That thing kind of happens so much in the United States that you can get numb to it, right, if you're not. And some of you ha have to get numb to it because it's too difficult. But this is just the, the world we live in, right? Eventually you feel numb to the, to the weather. That's just how it is, you know? Like you're a Buffaloan who's just used to the winter. <laughs> Isn't that why you have the beard there? To protect you against the winter? Right, that's kind of, it's hard. It's hard to feel it. The prophet keeps feeling the cold. There's nothing prophetic about... Uh, Stoicism, you know this idea, being a stoic, you know, unmoved by things. That's not really the movement of God, in my opinion. That's a big statement, and you might want to fight me on it later. <laughs> but that's what I think. I think you feel, you know. Brueggemann also says that the prophet's role is to um, not just, isn't just good enough to feel the cold of the winter. You have to imagine the warmth of the summer. We need to name the evil around us plainly, but we also need to name a vision for a better future. You know, Because you could just complain. Yeah, I have no problem feeling the pain. The world stinks. It's full of problems. I feel it, and it brings me to despair. Despair isn't a great place from which to imagine. So similarly, the prophet is not a cynic. That's another school of thought. So not too negative, not too despairing, Sensitive enough to feel the trouble in the world, right? You name the evils and you create and cast a vision for something new. You feel the cold, but you tell the story of the summer. Here's how Brueggemann put it. There he is again. Oh no, that's a terrible font. <laughs> My font didn't translate over. Oh no. Do you I just want you to know I never would pick that font. <laughs> because I know some of you are like font snobs. Can we just change it to papyrus? <laughs> change it to papyrus or a comic sans, right? That's the one we like. <laughs> That's pretty funny. Isn't there an SNL skit about papyrus? Because the Avatar movie was in the papyrus font. Oh, nice. What a time to be alive. Anyway, there's Brueggemann again. I, got, I'm, I will eventually find a picture of Walter Brueggemann that is, that is uh, flattering. <laughs> Thus far, I haven't found it, you know. Poor Brueggemann might have helped Andrew fold up some boxes, you know. Same kind of age range we're talking about earlier. <laughs> would you, would, oh yeah, no, he looks literally, he, yeah, he looks like, uh, like he's from the Old Testament. Um, <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> this is totally off the. I'm not even close to where I am, but I got a lot. I got a lot. I got a lot to talk about. Here's how he says it: the royal consciousness. 
That's the that's the that's the uh, the winter, if you will. The royal consciousness leads people to despair about the power to move toward a new life. It's a product of the winter to make you not able to feel the summer. It's the task of the prophetic imagination in ministry to bring people to engage in the promise of newness that is at work in our history with God. There is a promise of newness, a story that we tell about something that's coming. The stoic is numb. They can't feel the pain of the world. And in some places, that's even seen as a virtue. Like you're, uh, you're, you're objective, right? You hear this before? You're an objective person. The cynic is blind because they can only see the negative in the world. But, we don't, but don't we value the objectivism, the objectivity of stoicism? Objectivism is a different school of thought. We value the uh, objectivity of the stoic and the, uh, the pragmatism, the realism of the cynic. Right? I'm not cynical, I'm just realistic. The prophet is neither concerned with pragmatism or objectivity, though, because they're informed by God's pathos. God is not stoic. They're biased toward God and against those who oppose God. They have kind of a side that they're on. They're on God's side. Okay, so they're not neutral type of people. The prophet known as Isaiah tries to illuminate this newness, what we might call this remnant of hope, despite the despair. And I think that's the work that Christians need to engage in. Here's Isaiah's words. There's a better font. Here's Isaiah's words as your lead. Forget the former things. Do not dwell on the past. See, I am doing a new thing. It springs up. Do you not perceive it? I am making a way in the wilderness and, and streams in the wasteland. The prophet is making a way. And John the Baptist would say he's making a way for Jesus, right? Many Christians, I would say, have reinterpreted Isaiah's prophecy to be about Jesus here. Um, Jesus is the fulfillment of the vision of hope of Isaiah, the amazement, the energy of Isaiah. And we're actively enacting Jesus' new way today. That's the summer. I think Christians need to need to hold on to the hope of bringing Jesus' kingdom to the earth. We have to have that kind of faith to believe that something else can happen. We're restoring creation, participating in God's world redemption project. That's part of Circle of Hope's active work in the world. We believe that we can do our part in the Spirit's work of transforming the world and transforming the people in it. And we actually believe this is possible. And don't reduce our work just to shrewd practicalities. There's an idealistic vision that we follow after, authored by Jesus. Christians not only work for this possibility, but we spread hope of it, too. We know it to be true because of the transformative work that's happened in our life. We've tasted a little bit of it. The transformative work that's happened in our communities and in our world as a result of Jesus' love in us. We're constrained by God's love. In 2 Corinthians 5, Paul says, he's constrained or compelled by God's love to advance the gospel and change the world. It's not a matter of a successful kind of revolution, if you will. It's just a matter of being constrained 
and we've organized our lives around it. But Christian organizes her life around this. For me, that's the best way to enact the kingdom of God. Christians can't just succumb their ethical work to just practicality. Because we do live in a world where it's hard to experience Jesus and the kingdom is hard to enact, right? It's bitterly cold and it's hard to imagine any warmth. But another world is possible. I feel like we used to say that more. Jesus is moving Christians to believe in a, like a utopian option, if you will. And I think that comes from the church and life in the church. And this idea, this community that we're forming together makes the tools and mechanisms of the world kind of uh, fail or pale in comparison. Even like our liberal democracy might look like a compromise when we enact this new way of life, this new vision for it. We have in the, what we have in the world is not the best of what Jesus is giving us. We need to, I think, believe in an alternative even if we don't have all the specifics worked out. Believe that something else is possible, even if you don't know it. Because the pragmatist will tell you, well, what's your plan? How are you going to make this work? What laws are we supposed to pass? How is this vision going to work? I mean, aren't we all just going to be, um, fall to our worst instincts? You know, the way the world is set up now is it, it relies on the human uh, propensity to do self-centered things. And so when we imagine a future or we imagine how to make things better, we kind of bank on that self-interest to work, right? And there's times and places to do that. You know, they call it market-driven, market-driven policy, right? That's the idea because you're, we're going to figure out how to make you uh, make the world better because we don't really think we can make you better. So you're just going to do your greedy thing and we're going to manipulate it in some way to help poor people or something like that. Right? Jesus' idea, the, the, the church through Jesus is idealistic enough to say, no, we can actually be transformed people and do the right thing, not because it serves ourselves, because it serves someone else. So we need to believe in the alternative. That's important, even if you don't have all the details worked out, even if you don't have all the specifics worked out. Don't let that stop you from believing that something else is possible. You with me on that? Does that make sense? But a few words of caution. Jesus changes our vantage point, how we see things, when he transforms us and he gives us the mind of Christ and calls us all to be of one mind. So the transformation that we receive as a part of being the body sometimes appears similar, similar to uh, ideology, ideology. Right? It can be just reduced down to an idea. I don't think that's the full of it, though. You know, um, to get even a little bit more risky, it might just be reduced down to doctrine, too. Ideas about God. Language about God. But if we're not careful, those similar concepts can replace the transformation itself. We think differently because Jesus transforms all of us. You might end up believing, though, that all you need to do to be redeemed or redeem the world is make sure everyone agrees with you. You just kind of think the right things, and that's the end of the work. Our work could just then become about ideological purity. 
right? The, if we're not careful, we might end up just collecting people that have similar ideas to us or are committed to the right processes, but never actually move with the kingdom, try to change the world. Ideological purity doesn't save us. We're idealistic, not um, ideological. But more than just ideology, the new world we cast um, vision, the, 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 the new world we cast vision for, has a new uh, new ethics, a new way of doing things, a new way of doing good things. The transformation, the new vision for the world, informs our actions. If our vision for the world isn't enacted and we can't do anything about it now, it's useless, I would say. So we need to be careful, though, again, because the ethical principles, even if they're readily enacted, can be fundamentalized, too. That's a complicated way of saying ideology won't save you, but you can make sure everyone just acts in the right way, too. Okay? Christians have fallen into this trap where you have to think the right things and do the right things, and that's the product of transformation. That, that, that is the replaces the transformation. No, the transformation happens. Therefore, we have different thoughts and different actions. So, in its worst expression, um, you see uh, things you have to think and actions you have to do. Um, and so, you might think it has to do with what you're supposed to wear or something like that. Like uh, in our history, um, in our denomination's history, we used to dress plainly, right? That was part of the right action that we came up with, you know? We didn't even wear jewelry before because like, you wouldn't even have a wedding ring or a mustache if, you know, because it was just too, uh, too excessive, I guess. <laughs> Mustaches are a little extra, though. So, <laughs> you know, we've kind of come all the way around there on that one. So, I don't think it's a sin particularly, but, you know, I don't think there's any, in 2018, there's no such thing as a non-ironic mustache, right? <laughs> Would you say that? Unless you're, well, I'd say that's true. Huh? Unless you're an old guy, yeah. No millennials are rocking uh, non-ironic mustaches. I'm just making sure I'm not offending anyone just <laughs> in this room for a second <laughs> to see, like, how did I just? <laughs> oh, Jeremy's a mustachioed friend? Oh, boy. He does have one? Yeah. <laughs> I don't even know. When he comes back, I'll we'll have to tell him. <laughs> anyway, I'm fine with you. It's not a sin. Anyway. <laughs> but you can catch yourself up to that, right? Or you can ban dancing or something like that, right? Doctrine and ideology that isn't enacted is useless, but we have to be careful because the actions can become fundamentalized. We need to make sure that everyone, we could just make sure everyone fits into the right thought processes or the right actions. You know. What's more is we can reduce loyalty to tribe, too. And I just called this a family before, right? A tribe before. You might, hey Jeremy, full confession, I just was making fun of mustaches. Okay. <laughs> I know. Can you have a non ironic mustache in 2018? That was the question. There you are. <laughs> but you got a soul patch too. That helps, I think, the overall look. 
Maybe I should grow my mustache. I used to have one. Okay, here we go. New season, the winter mustache to protect me. So you can reduce loyalty to Jesus, to tribe. You might need to be the right kind of person or the right kind of Christian. I think we have to be careful. We're imagining a new vision for the future that can get stuck in ideology, actions, and even the, the person's humanity, who they are. Like you might need to dress or look a certain way. You might need to live in a certain neighborhood, follow the right leaders, have the right political party. Obviously, the worst way that this tribalism has expressed itself is through in the world is through racism, right? This will be one of the big categories that people are put into. We've been so tribalized by race that the United States' worst atrocities are centered on racism. And those power dynamics still exist today, and Christians need to fight them. However, tribalism is a problem that extends well beyond race, even if it's race where it's manifested in its worst way. There's always competition for who's really in and who's really out. You might feel like you're not in tonight. There's some reason you don't totally fit in. Like you didn't know any of the songs that we sang. You know, and you felt like everyone else did, but I'm not really in the group yet because I don't know those songs. You know, I didn't dress the right way. Some of you brought a Bible and then you realize, oh, there's not a church where people bring Bibles. That's interesting. I remember I did this. You know, there's, there's cultural norms that you can get that can exclude you. If we're worth our salt, we have to try to minimize those, right? It's tricky to do this because you want the, you want the body to be something in that you can actually enter. So it does need some distinctiveness, but the walls have to be porous, right? You have to be able to get in and out, quite frankly. It's tricky to do this because the, the, the community itself, the more intimate it is, the more exclusive it is. And some of you guard against intruders. Make sure that you're not invaded by some foreign person. You know, And it could be an actual foreign person or whoever you deem is foreign for some reason. Again, we're moving with Jesus. We have a vision that we're working on. And Jesus is going to transform our minds, our hearts, our actions, our bodies so that we're united together. There's a, um, a unity that occurs, and even a, um, a uniformity of thought. However, however, that can become exclusive and focus on the wrong things. None of this is going to work out perfectly, but sometimes the hope for something better in the world is all we have to hold on to. The world is full of trouble. Sorry. That's okay. Did you need to take that? Okay. The existential hope of the belief in something more and something greater might be what gets us through our impossible circumstances. Just the hope, just the belief that something new can come. What they say in that uh, in Star Wars, uh, in Rogue One, this was the one that came out a few years ago. Rebellions are built on hope. That was it, right? Isn't that, that, am I thinking of the right one here? When they steal the Death Star's plans? 
I think it's hope because the next movie is a new hope. Right? I think that's the idea. Anyone know this? I, I, I recommend it. There's an actual hope that we have in Jesus. And holding on to that, even if it's not immediately enacted, can sustain you. People need it. And I think you can bring it by the person you are. You can bring that at least uh, the idea of summer in the middle of winter. Our congregation has an opportunity to express that vision for newness that Jesus gives us. When I think we've subtweeted about this enough so far in this meeting when we join um, our, our friends at Frankfurt Ave to become one new thing. That's the thing we're working on. This, this consolidation of congregations, this merging of congregations is creates a new one and a new thing and it's part of this new vision of hope and it can be part of this new vision of hope um, and it moves us all in a healthier way. Cynicism can get in the way because we can't imagine such a radical thing happening. And any sort of change is going to have difficulties. You know, but we don't need more difficulties in the form of uh, cynicism or skepticism. We're moving toward a healthier and more energizing future for our congregations. Of course, there are some practical considerations here. You know, of course. And a lot of you are thinking, yeah, we're going to get a better building where we don't have to set up chairs and partitions each week. That's not the main thing that we're doing. Don't reduce it just to that. You know, if that's your only kind of selling point, if you will, I would just say, don't say that. You know, <laughs> hang back. There's a more energizing possibility because we're becoming a new thing together, right? That's the that's the fun part, you know. Practicalities are there, but don't make it just practical. There's a new thing that we're doing together that's beyond that's beyond practicalities. I think this new life that this consolidation forms is our primary work, primary concern. And I hope that we can keep building this alternative uh, vision and community together even in our next era. Let's pray and do a little talk back, shall we? Thank you, Lord, for being here, for being present and faithful to us. Keep renewing our minds, uh, supplying a prophetic imagination to imagine what a new world could look like that's unencumbered by the way that we know things, the way that we say things, the way that we uh, see things. Amen. Thanks for listening to Circle of Hope's Sunday Meeting Podcast. If you want to talk about it or get connected to a cell, you can find one under our Connect drop-down at circleofhope.net.